Hello and welcome to your monthly Ask an Attorney webinar. I'm Kevin Michalowski, editor of Concealed Carry Magazine. I am not the attorney. The attorney <laughs> is Tom Grieve, head of the largest criminal defense law firm in Wisconsin. And, and, and the best. Not, and the not, best, yes. right, you know, right. Size matters. Quality but, yeah. and quantity. So, um, Tom, you sat in with us on the most recent live training broadcast, the, the Proving Ground there, and we saw a knife attack on a total stranger, and, and people were asking about you know, what they should do, how they can get involved with something like that, or should they? And we saw a couple of different options, you know, um, attack, you know, counterattack or run away, things like that. What would you suggest when you're looking at that scenario, you know, now with the, in retrospect, you know? Sure. Well, well you know, and, and the interesting thing, for those of you who have seen and are familiar with the, the Proving Ground series, there's a really neat twist on this one, which is the fact that you took the same scenario and then it was run multiple times to see how different people would respond. And we saw a little bit of everything, at least in, in you know, those, those three that we were talking about. So we saw one individual when the bad guy put the knife to the woman's throat and we had a defensive third person situation. We had one guy who angled for some good shots and, mm -hmm. and then took them. Not sure, we, not sure that he hit the bad guy, but yeah. he, he took some shots. We saw another person uh, who made sure that she got some good shots and then took them and then kind of abruptly stopped, mm -hmm. maybe a little too soon. Um, and then we had a third person who retreated. So there was a lot of stuff to talk about there. Yeah. Um, I thought that they all worked out to varying degrees. The person who stopped shooting um, was a little bit concerning because what if the attack was persisting? We could be putting among other people's lives, certainly her own life at danger, because if that person was still up and going in the fight with that knife, that could be a problem. Yeah, the fight doesn't stop immediately. I mean, this is, and, and we tell people that all the time. It's not Hollywood, you know, two bullets on a guy and, and suddenly the fight's over. Right. Um, especially in a knife assault or something like that. And that brings us to the very first question. What if I see the knife before an attack? Can I take action? At what point do I try to stop the threat? You know, um, no one in that scenario saw this guy, six foot five, walking in with a knife in his hand. Nobody paid attention to that. But we go to that what if scenario. What if you see somebody walking into a store with a, you know, what is clearly a weapon, not a letter opener or something like that. Right. They get a knife out. You know, what would you suggest from a legal standpoint uh, well, is a good option at that point? Candidly, we don't know what's going on. All right, now look, obviously someone's walking into some sort of ski mask and, you know, they're ranting about satan or something okay that might be a little bit of a different context as compared to some guy in the warehouse is walking in with the box cutter right but that's to illustrate the point of look we don't really know what that person's intent is maybe they're a contractor walking into some sort of hardware store and they're there to pick something up maybe they're not maybe they're there because they're going to do harm to someone we don't really know but that's the risk that you take if you do choose to engage that person with deadly force and even if you choose not to engage with deadly force, even if you simply draw your gun and point it, that can be and probably will be a crime unless you can articulate why you met specific legal thresholds. Check your local listings, uscca.com slash laws, laws with an S at the end, um, in order to figure out, well, did I act legally mm -hmm. under those circumstances? And that's the difficult part here. And, and you know, Kevin and I were actually talking about this a little bit um, as it relates to another case that maybe we'll get into about just how gray a lot of this stuff is. And as, as a defense attorney and former state prosecutor, what I always look to is I really go into the weeds and all the different facts, and I take a deep dive to figure out what's the context at that precise moment in time as best as we can reconstruct it. And part of the difficult things that's unfair sometimes to folks, usually to folks, is the fact that, well, we can sit here drinking coffee, watching this across four different surveillance tapes, knowing how things play out, no, and you know, with perfect knowledge, and I can now go back and retroactively judge someone, in essence. Yeah. But folks, that's what the cops, that's what everybody's gonna be doing. So if you're gonna produce your firearm, you gotta be careful. I would say, that, see how I, I stretched out my answer there? <laughs> um, I would say, uh, to be safe, I think at a minimum, if you got something in your hands, I'm putting it down, mm -hmm. and I'm moving away. Yeah. I think that that's put a barrier, put an obstacle, do something yeah. or other to gain distance, because distance is time, uh, particularly when we're dealing about a knife. But keep in mind, that guy was 6'5 in this scenario. And you can check out this, this, this video on YouTube, and it will be coming to your dashboards at some point. Um, but 
that guy, I, I bet he can cover ground Oh, like that. yeah, with uh, those long legs and, yeah. and moving across the, the width of the store. I'm going to say that from a tactical perspective, um, exactly what Tom said, control that distance, put something between you and him, but then alert everybody else to the fact that he has a knife. And even if you decide not to shout, he has a knife, you know, that, you know, that might cause a little bit of panic. But, you know, a hand out, hey, buddy, what are you doing with that knife? Now everybody's kind of looking that direction, and you still haven't done anything that's overtly aggressive. Right. But you've alerted the attacker to the fact that you now know he's there, right. and you've alerted everybody else to kind of pay attention to this, and maybe they get to create some distance as well. And you still haven't yet drawn your gun and started barking commands and telling this guy to drop the knife and get down on the ground. Um, you know, you're, you're absolutely right in the gray area there. How long do you wait? Do you wait till he starts cutting somebody? I mean, because that's, that's a horrible wound. Um, I'm much more a fan of stopping things before they start, getting in there and, and try to disrupt the decision-making process right. and, and make the person address me or someone else first before someone gets hurt. But Are you know, putting yourself yeah. on that X, though? Yeah, right. then you become a target. Then you become the target. Maybe, mm -hmm. maybe he's a disgruntled employee. Maybe he just got mm -hmm. fired yesterday. Maybe uh, his girlfriend just broke up with him and, and, she, and he knows that she's at the store. Yeah. And I'm not saying that you ought not put yourself on the X, but I'm just saying observationally, you're putting yourself on that X, right? Yeah. Then, then, again, you become the target. We saw in, right. in the previous, in, in the active shooter at the church scenario, um, the one person who saw the man with the gun Scooped up his baby and just got out. Right. Just left. Make sure he saved himself and his family. Ah, oh, Teddy. And <laughs> yeah, but again, self-defense. Right. You know, can. But how bad would you feel right. if you just oh, there's a guy with a knife. You turn and walked out of the store. Later on the news, you see you know six people stabbed, two people right. dead, and you were yeah I was there. I I was there. I had a gun. I could have done something. Could, yeah. So. But you know, at the end of the day, folks, we can beat up these details. We can have this discussion of the pros and cons. But ultimately, you're the one that needs to make the decision. You down the lens there. You're the one that needs to decide what risks, what am I willing to do? Because keep in mind, if you jump into that shark tank, if you've heard us talk about the shark tank, um, you know, somebody falls into a shark tank, you, are you going to jump in to save a cell phone? Probably not. If your kid goes in there, probably. Uh, if you decide to potentially put yourself on that X to get yourself involved in a deadly force encounter, you might be saving lives. That might be very realistic, but you might be endangering your own, and as a result, um, really changing things for your spouse, your kids, your employees, employer, all those sorts of people that maybe care about, maybe you don't, uh, to varying degrees. I'll let you yeah. decide which who's who in that equation. Choose um, the child that shows the most potential. Right? And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but maybe we're, we're we're laughing about it, but it's true, and and th those are difficult less legal you know the legal is when can you pull a firearm when can you not pull a firearm when when am i in that reasonable threat now mm -hmm. to do x but there's also a moral and uh, you know a spiritual religious there's lots of other things that inform these decisions and you know hopefully we can we can kind of churn that up to get people thinking about that uh, so that they can make the best decision for themselves. Yeah, you need to know where you're at psychologically before you get involved in this because right. it's um, it, and it's going to go on forever. Right. It's, it, it, once this happens, it it sticks with you. So, yep. Wes has a question. What if a bad guy has an advantage, already has the knife out or a gun drawn and pointing at someone? Can you still draw? Well, this speaks to your level of training and your level of confidence and and a lot of what's going on in the scenario. If a guy is pointing a gun at someone else and yelling and screaming and stating his manifesto, you may have time and you may have opportunity to draw your gun, aim carefully, and then either make commands or fire. If the guy's pointing the gun directly at you, this changes up you know, by distance and time and, and all sorts of different things. So it's not a great answer, but I'm gonna say, hey, um, think it through, and, and there's a million what-ifs on, on if somebody already has a weapon out. I don't know if I heard it from a professional or from Hollywood, but just the expression of never draw on a drawn gun, you know, mm -hmm. if somebody's pointing a gun at you, you're probably not going to be able to draw and fire in the time that it takes for them to fire, right? Yeah. And maybe, you know what, if that's your best choice, mm -hmm. it is what it is, right? Yeah. But um, drawing on a drawn firearm, that's that's a... 
No. That's an uphill climb. Yeah, and and but, but you know, let's fall into the at the what if at what distance. If you can touch their firearm, you can take right. their firearm. Right. If it's close enough for you to even knock it up and away and draw and shoot, you might have an opportunity to do that. Again, this comes back to training, execution, and your confidence with your gun. Right. If you're not, if you haven't trained to draw your gun and rapidly acquire a target and fire, I would say don't try it because you don't really know where that round's going to go, and you're responsible for that. And not that so. I want to skew anyone's knowledge or their perceptions or anything like that. And having said that, I think Max is cringing off screen, so let's mm -hmm. dive into it. Um, but, you know, in all the kind of dealing with cases with, we're talking bad guys, yep. right? Prosecuting and seeing them in court and on and on and on. Bad guys with guns. These are not individuals who are trained with firearms. They're not necessarily using the best firearms. They may or may not be working firearms. They're certainly not using nice ammunition. I mean, most mm -hmm. bad guys, and when I say bad guys, I'm talking about kind of your street level scum, mm -hmm. for lack of a better way of putting it. Yeah. They probably aren't that great. And yeah. Folks, let, let me be very clear. I'm not giving you legal advice of draw on a drawn firearm because don't worry, he won't hit you from five feet. That's, no one here is saying that. But what this goes back to is kind of what Kevin touched on, what I'm just going to keep drilling away on is, you know, we can never choose the time and place. I think, uh, I think you have some excellent, <laughs> you know, quotations of yeah. Kevin Mikulowski saying that. So, yeah. um, but we can choose the preparation and we can train to make sure that if God forbid you are in that time and place, that you have every other advantage stack going your way, which comes back to the education, which comes back to the training. So hopefully you'll never be on that moment, um, but you wanna make sure that you have everything else going for you. The education, the knowledge, how to draw from a concealed uh, holster, how to quickly aim, you need to be able to do all that stuff way better than they can. And the good news is that you're probably starting, even with some training, there's a good chance you're starting from a better mm -hmm. position, but better may not be good enough. Yeah. So just keep that in Absolutely. mind. Absolutely. And people can look on their dashboard. Um, we have a, a previous proving ground um, with Sam where he was at the gas station and, and got carjacked, and he ended up drawing his gun against a drawn gun. Now, he waited for the right time, and he did everything right with movement and um, target isolation and all of the things that he needed to do. Uh, as I watched that unfold, I was cheering for Sam because I was like, look at that, he's doing every single thing right and, and was able to save his child from you know, being kidnapped and, and taken away in that carjacking. So that's out there, but again, it falls into the right. millions of what ifs and how does it all work and what level of confidence in your training and your ability that you actually have. Right. So. So there are so many distractions in this scenario, and uh, we did that specifically. We hired actors to say specific things in this scenario. Um, how do people maintain situational awareness, and how do people cut through all of this other stuff that's going on? Um, part of what I say is, you know, in a, in a high-stress situation, people are almost always focused on the threat. And, and maybe narrowly focused on the implement of the threat. You know, people get shot in the hands when they pull out a gun, because people are looking at the gun when they're shooting back. Um, you know, what have you heard, and, and in your experience, there's lots of people barking at you, chirping at you, like, shoot them, no, run away, get out of here. Um, how, how does that all come together when, when people have to deal with making a decision in a situation? Well, thank goodness I have not personally been involved in any kind of deadly force encounter. Uh, drawing on my experiences, working with firsthand and talking with people who have been through their own encounters, um, people, it's everything, it's everything you hear about. There's a reason why it's, it's almost become a cliche of, uh, you know, it's, things kind of slow down to a degree. You get, you get tunnel vision on a particular thing. Um, the weapon, the hand that had, uh, that had a weapon, um, all that's very true. And, uh, you know, it, different people recount different things of what they focused on and what they heard what the distractions were. But I would say that if you watch the most recent Proving Ground, the one that took place in the, uh, in the gaming store, the comic book store, um, listening to some of the people, listening to some of those scenario folks, the trainees who went through everything afterwards, uh, they said different things. You know, one of them said, well, all I can hear is this particular guy who's yelling in my ear. The other people didn't really make any remark about the fact, even mm -hmm. though they had people who were 
literally standing arm's length, sometimes yeah. maybe a little bit more, screaming at them, and it yep. they didn't seem to hear it. So um, I think to a degree, you know, biology has equipped you with the ability to focus on what you need to focus on to survive that that encounter for better or worse for the matter because maybe it would be helpful to obviously see what else and hear what else is going on uh i'm not sure that's something you can do that much to train for if you're mm -hmm. at home do you have any training techniques and, you recommend actually no what uh, what we have for training techniques on, on dealing with things like auditory exclusion and tunnel vision and and either compressed or expanded time is to just know that these things could happen and they don't always happen and they might not happen the same for the same person in different incidents. So just knowing that they're happening or that they could happen and if it pops up in your head, then you, you know that, oh, okay, I'm dealing with this now. Wow, this seems to be going really, really slowly. Okay, this is the expanded time that, that people were talking about. I need to deal with this or um, you know, auditory exclusion. I can't hear anything. Why can I not hear anything? Oh, because I'm blocking out and I'm focusing on this. Um, it's just having that knowledge that this stuff might happen and you need to work through it. And honestly, the, the best thing you can do is the combat scan. Keep looking around. Break focus from where you are. That target fixation will allow other people to move around behind you or beside you or wherever, and you might not see them immediately. Our, our vision, you know, one to three degrees is what we can focus on right in front of us, and that's about it. Um, even when we're not stressed and when we're scared, um, it gets it. You know, it can get down to a pinpoint. And I think I remember enough. seeing the first trainee, Spencer, actually kind of glanced around a few times before yeah. he decided to engage. Yeah. So we did see some of that mm -hmm. in the proving ground. Yeah, absolutely. MD wants to know what about multiple attackers or even a mob. You know, how can we change that situation there? Um, I'm I'm going to tell you, MD, keep moving and get your back against something so that somebody can't get behind you. When you're in a multiple attacker situation and things are getting really, really dynamic, you want to make sure that your head is on a swivel and you're moving to cover. You're putting stuff between the attackers and you. Just anything to make sure that you're not standing still and making yourself an easy target. That's probably the best advice I can give on something like that. I mean, if you start shooting and if the mob doesn't scatter, that's pretty scary. Yeah, that's going <laughs> to be... A, that, that's that's yeah. pretty scary right there. <laughs> now I mean, suddenly you're fighting a whole group of highly trained individuals. Yeah, and, now, yeah. Now, we're, now we're either yeah. in The Walking Dead, where we've got the zombies attacking, or we've mm -hmm. got a group of you know highly trained ninja assassins or something or other. I don't know. I mean, we're, we're making light of it, but mm -hmm. people seem to scatter when, yep. when you hear gunshots, right? And if they don't, I'd be really worried about what's who are these people? Yeah. Well, why are they not scattering? But keep in mind, you know, their scattering may not, that may not be a permanent situation for them. They may not be running away. They'll probably run a little bit and turn around. And then there's kind of this mob mentality, right? Of like, well, everybody's mm -hmm. going back. I'll go back too. So that may buy you a couple seconds to yeah. get out of town. Keep, again, right? keep moving. Right. Know? The follow-up question to that was, what if there's another concealed carrier in the room who decides to pull out his gun and start, well, you know, air quotes, helping? Um, <laughs> what do you do at that point? You know what? Get cover and try to figure things out because that is the biggest problem in any of these scenarios. We don't know who's who, we don't know who's doing what, and we need to figure that out very quickly because you could very easily shoot the wrong person in a situation like that. Right, I mean, your, your commodities at the end of the day that you're playing with are, are time, which distance is a factor in that, but effectively, yeah. time and bullets, all right? And if those are your commodities, a lot of things have gone wrong, but you really need to take as much time as you have to figure things out before you start using those bullets. Yeah, absolutely. That's a very good point. So um, next question with no name on it because they knew I was going to give a snarky answer. How do you train to shoot a moving target? Shoot at moving targets. So um, we've done some Into the Fray videos about using what we call the intelligently controlled targeting system which is basically a target on the end of a 10-foot piece of PVC, mm. and your assistant moves that back and forth, and you shoot at it. Um, add two of those, then you have a shoot-no-shoot no shoot target, and you have to understand where your bullets are going to go. But find yourself a training location. There are some guys out there now with really cool radio-controlled like lawnmower bases, and they're driving targets around the range and coming, you know, mm. bringing them at you and things like that. You, you have to shoot at a moving target. You can do that with airsoft, you can do it with BB guns, you can do it with live fire, you know, just make sure you're not shooting yourself. You gotta be safe, but right. yeah, you gotta shoot at moving targets if you wanna learn to shoot at moving targets, so. I don't have anything to add. 
that was that was perfect. First time ever. Thank, <laughs> thanks, Tom. I, I feel you know, I feel better about myself every now, now and then. You know, yep. I just gotta yeah, do just, something. Yeah, just make me feel a little yeah. bit good. Skip wants to know that as a longtime shooter and ammunition reloader, and being known for this, so everyone in Skip's town knows that he is a shooter and ammunition reloader. All right, Skip. Will this history perhaps have any effect after the self-defense or deadly force encounter? This is a legal question. You know, everybody in town knows that Skip is at the range three days a week. Does <laughs> right. that matter to you? Maybe. Okay. And 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 I realize you that that's such an attorney. I know, right? Yeah. It it depends. <laughs> that that's that's the joke of all attorney answers. Are well, it depends. I mean, here's the reason why: is is Skip the guy in town who's responsibly always preaching about gun safety? He's always doing everything everything right, he's always polite, he's always this, always, always that. Or skip that jerk that we've all run into on the range who's, you know, I know what to do, he's always breaking all the safety rules, he's a jerk to everyone. He's um, got a gun and a shovel. Yeah, yeah he, he's known for all the wrong reasons, is my point. Because there's very, very, very specific rules and laws about how does character reputation evidence come into a, into a trial and things like that there's a very good chance that maybe not much of it is going to factor in, at least not directly. But look, Skip, if you're, if you're this well-known in that particular town, um, and I'm imagining a little bit more of a smaller town setting here, um, you, know, you probably know some of the sheriff's deputies, you probably know some of the police officers and so forth, and they probably know you. And if they don't know you directly, they certainly know you by reputation, good or bad. And if you don't think that that reputation is going to influence the course of their investigation, um, you'd be wrong. And, and I'm not saying that that's what you are thinking, but I think that's why I'm saying there's different levels of how I can take this question. I think that in a small town where people know you, if people know you as the good guy with the firearm, I mean, Kevin, as, as law enforcement yourself, that's consciously or subconsciously, that's going to bleed and affect your investigation. Oh, yeah, right? and, and it's, it's overt in some cases, you know, and when talking with other law enforcement officers, we will say a name and everyone will just drop their shoulders and be like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah this that guy, guy. Yeah, the frequent flyers, yeah. right? Yeah, and, uh, and, and those sorts of things will influence how the, the investigation goes and maybe right. the starting point and stuff like that. But you said something very important. I think the last time we were together, the basic facts of how you acted yep. at the scene yep. should override right. the fact that you're a jerk, if, if yep. that's the case that people And that's where, that's where I was going to end with this, was, uh, you know, and I don't really know how to, how to build on Kevin right now, but... Uh, I'm doing but right, great. <laughs> you know, what Kevin said is absolutely correct, which is at the end of the day, the facts should trump whatever your character is. In other words, if you're a good guy, make a bad shoot, I'm sorry. If you're a bad guy, makes a good shoot, I'd rather the bad guy who makes a good shoot than the good guy who makes the bad shoot, all right? Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, the facts should be number one. But your character reputation, while it may not be admissible in the court subject to the rules of evidence, it's going to affect and color the investigation for, for better or worse. But at the end of the day, the facts are going to be the facts. So you better train, educate yourself to make sure that you can have the best chance at giving yourself and your criminal defense attorney the best chance possible. Very well put. Thank you. Thank you very much. I have good. my moments, yeah. you know. So uh, Roger wants to know, if my company has a no-weapon policy, can I carry to work and leave the gun in the car? I know you can here in Wisconsin. Right. So. The answer is definitely, it depends. I mean, is, is, your, is your company the United States Postal Service? Then uh, that's a no. Hard that, no. That, that's a hard no. <laughs> yeah. um, and again, we can only comment on, or at least I can only comment on, what the laws are that I'm familiar with here in Wisconsin. So I would say check your local listings. Perfect issue for uscca.com slash laws. If that's not something that you find on the map for your particular state, and it's something you're interested about, you know, let us know. We can talk yeah. to Bonnie, who does an amazing job at updating that and continuously expanding and expanding and expanding that. I know that's an issue I've seen come up from time to time. Unfortunately, I don't, just don't have a straight answer for you uh, because I don't know what all the laws are. <clears throat> what I know is you should check them and learn them, though. Yeah, know, know the laws in your jurisdiction, folks. And uh, um, if, if we don't have them on uscca.com slash laws, um, they're probably buried somewhere in a state uh, website, you know, deep down into the, into the state codified laws or something like that. But um, if you can't find it on our website, let us know, comment, and, and we will figure that out and, and right. get that out there. That website's um, for you at the end of the day, so let us know what you want to see on there. Yep. Mel wants to know, can it be called displaying or brandishing a firearm if it never leaves the holster? And we'll get right back to this again. I know that it can in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Uh, that's, uh, I learned that law um, while I was passing through um, because I knew I was going to be going through that jurisdiction, so I had to 
pay attention to, you know, what the laws were. Number one, what are the laws? Number two, what are the contexts, right? So uh, there's, a, there's a difference, right? And I think they, they talk about this in, in law enforcement academy mm -hmm. as well, right? Of There's a difference between I'm printing through my shirt versus I lift my shirt versus my shirt happens to lift versus yeah. my shirt's lifted and I put my hand on the holster but don't draw. Those, those, mm -hmm. are, those are different scenarios, right? Yeah, we're talking about the intent of what the person was doing and then we have officer discretion as we you know, we're applying, you know, what are the elements of the offense? Right. We have to know what those are. Um, law enforcement officers not only have to know, you know, what, uh, let's call it uh, disorderly conduct. You know, we, ha we know that that is, I think it's 248.47 or something like that. We have to know what that is, but we have to know what the elements of the offense are. Then we have to interpret the person's intent before we start writing tickets or taking people to jail. So. But I have seen people, maybe not your scenario, but in my practice as a state prosecutor and criminal defense attorney, uh, I did see one drug dealer get charged when he was robbing another drug dealer because he lifted his shirt to show his handgun tucked, uh, tucked in the front of his pants. Clearly uh, that was a threat. It seemed pretty threatish <laughs> under the circumstances of give me the drugs, I'm not giving you money, and these two drug dealers were busy robbing. I think the other guy robbed him back later and, at any rate. But, yeah, so scenarios, context, they matter. Yeah, absolutely. Let's get back to the proving ground scenario. People want to know what good verbal commands should be given in a situation like this. And, and uh, uh, we saw Casey hollering, drop the knife. Good. good. I mean, that, that, good. that's a and hard consonants. Yep. If we want to get advanced, yes, right? a absolutely something that um, you know in the in the aspects of the verbal judo, we want something that we're going to stun them with the word stop. You know, right. um, that is always helpful because if you just holler stop at somebody, you want them to stop whatever it is they're doing and stand still. Um, I don't like people using the word freeze. Um, it can be confused with lots of other words and mm. and, and doesn't work there, but. Stop, drop the knife, drop the gun. Um, some people will holler, drop the weapon, but uh, you know, um, I'd, like, I'd like things to be much more specific. You right. know? Um, and, and police officers always ask, show me your hands. Um, that, that seems to be the, the you know, phrase du jour now in the, in the police officer community is show me your hands. Hmm. Um, we want to see empty hands. But yeah, I mean, something that you can shout that gets a person's attention that makes them stop the action they're doing or at very least slow it down. And of course, while you're doing that, you know, you're drawing attention and you're creating witnesses of anybody around. So yeah, you might be the one if somebody just glances over holding a gun and pointing at someone, but you're also the one shouting, you know, drop the knife, right? So hopefully it becomes a little bit more clear as to who's actually the person who's defending themselves or someone else versus who's the bad guy here. So you're also doing something to create witnesses while hopefully slowing down the action and saving lives. Thanks. Wally carries a 10 millimeter and wants to know if his 10 millimeter is gonna be a problem because it's so powerful. Um, Wally, any gun that you carry is deadly force and deadly force is covered by laws, which Tom will not cover. So. <laughs> Laws. Yes. <laughs> All right. So, I mean, look, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if you're using a 10 millimeter, a 44 Magnum, if you're stepping down from the 10 millimeter to the 357 or whatever it is, deadly force is deadly force, right? Um, so, if you're producing a firearm and if to pull up that firearm, you will still have to be in that same, in Wisconsin, reasonable fear of imminent death or great bodily harm, whether you're pulling out a 1022. For to shoot a 22 long rifle, or whether you're pulling out your 10 millimeter Glock 27, Glock 20, Glock 40, whatever it might be, this is the same standard. Now, keep in mind, obviously, with 10 millimeter, we do have to start worrying about pass throughs and things like that if you're shooting full metal jacket. So, ammunition selection can be big depending upon which Glock you're shooting there. I'm assuming you're shooting a Glock, but um, are you going to be able to control that caliber? I'm assuming you can because if you can't, bad choice for a self-defense firearm. So there's gonna be lots of different variables and things like that along those lines. Uh, one of my best friends carries a 10 millimeter. I'm, I'm very familiar with people who do that. I, I carry a 10 millimeter when I'm out in the woods in northern Wisconsin. So uh, it's a fantastic caliber, but you really gotta, as with all firearms and with all calibers, you know, ammunition selection can be critical. And, and I think you really need to assess the reasons why you're carrying a 10 millimeter. Um, the FBI statistics now, um, we're, we're almost 30 years removed from the FBI gunfight of 1986, which spawned the discussion of 10 millimeter versus 40 versus 9 millimeter. And all of the data that the FBI has from that date forward shows that 
no commonly available defensive handgun cartridge is any better than any other at quote unquote stopping power. 90% of the time, 99% of the time, people stop attacking you when they get shot because of psychological um, choices. Of, oh, I'm shot, I need to stop now. Um, the handgun rounds are not doing enough physical damage to immediately stop a person unless you hit the central nervous system. Um, we had the case in Illinois a couple of years back where the, the uh, sergeant shot a guy 16 times with his 45 ACP. Six of those hits would have been fatal in enough time, and finally he stopped the fight by shooting the man three times in the head, once in each side of the face and once in the top of the skull. That guy still survived to die at the hospital. I was so. about to reference, I don't, I don't know which state it was in, but I think the exact yeah. same case because... Yeah, Skokie, the, Illinois was the... Uh, so the, did the guy, if, if it's the same case I'm thinking of, the same officer switched to 9mm. Yes, and now carries and now 140 carries, rounds yep. of okay. ammo with same, him. Exact yep. same case. That's the yeah, guy. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's worth noting, right? Because yeah. he said, well, I want the stopping power, and now he said... All the, all the 45 ACP stopping power in the world didn't stop this guy. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I think now he carries like a couple of the 30 round, yep. you know, Glock sticks, right? Yeah. Okay. And, yeah. and he moved Same to guy. nine millimeter over the, over the 45 and he was down to his final two rounds in the magazine. Yeah. And um, it's not like he didn't know what he was doing. He was the firearms instructor. Right. Um, he, he was shooting the guy and saying, I'm not seeing anything happening. And just assuming that, I'm a good shot, I'm hitting him, I'm not seeing anything happening. And for those of you who are skeptical, the guy who was killed, the bad guy, no drugs, no alcohol in the system, just decided that on that day, he was not gonna stop fighting this cop until, right. until he was physically stopped. And it was a 56 second gunfight. Right. That was, that was um, the dash cam showed 56 seconds of gunfire, which included two magazine changes for the officer and the bad guy running back to his car and getting another gun to bring back to the fight. So gotcha. um, mm. it's, uh, if you're choosing a 10 millimeter because you think big, powerful, you're gonna blast a person off their feet, you're not, it's, it, that's not gonna help you. Choose a gun that you can shoot accurately and learn to shoot it well. Right, and you know, not to go all Jordan Peterson, but the psychology here is obviously tremendously important and going back to exactly what Kevin said, you know, if that guy decided that he wasn't really gonna be in this fight nearly as hard, Maybe those first couple rounds stop them. So you just you just don't know. But um, you know, and, and I'm not here to push one one caliber over another caliber. You just heard. I also am am a fan of the Glock 20 and Glock 40 and so forth. But um, just having those right decisions for you when you need them. JJ wants to know in the after action question. So I'm assuming this is the investigatory phase of the police officers. Um, the police will ask, "Why did you get involved? You're not law enforcement. You had no duty to intervene." How do you handle that conversation? I'm gonna say you wait to have that conversation until your attorney is by your side. Because yeah, people are gonna ask you all sorts of questions. But how, how do you address that one? I don't need to be here. I mean, Kevin's, yeah. Kevin's got this, right? Well, I I, just... It's osmosis, it's just <laughs> coming out. Now. Yeah, I mean, what Kevin said is absolutely true. I mean, look, if you're at that part of the conversation, you better have an attorney next to you, all right? And I'm not saying that to be anti-law enforcement. I'm not saying that of, of anything of the sort, all right? I'm just saying that because it's true, all right? The best generic piece of advice and a former U.S. Supreme Court justice a little over 100 years ago now once famously remarked that any attorney, no matter how green, should be able to give their client one piece of advice. Never talk to the police, all right? And it's not because necessarily you will always say the wrong thing. It's just that you will almost always say the wrong thing, right? And Kevin, as a law enforcement officer, hopefully the camera caught him laughing or you yeah. heard him laughing. The mics picked him up. Because it's absolutely true. It's yep. absolutely true. I know so many law enforcement officers. Uh, so around town locally, we run some ads on the radio and so forth. And I can't tell you how many times that, that troopers and, and deputies and, and cops and so forth tell me, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm booking someone and they're talking to me and so forth. And I'm just kind of rolling my eyes to myself or writing down everything that they're saying. And at the end of it, they're saying, yeah, I probably should have kept my mouth shut. And it's like, yeah, you should yeah. have. But yeah. it just is what it is. People want to talk. And a good officer knows that and lets them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, a good law enforcement officer's favorite two words are voluntary statement. As, you know, <laughs> it, I, I didn't ask him anything. Spontaneous just, utterance yeah, being a close there, second. There but yeah. So um, <laughs> Jack would like to know, what if there are accomplices in the attack? What would you do? Okay, so shoot them. <laughs> right, yeah, I mean, are they shooting at you? I'm, um, 
I mean, it's a fair question, Jack, but there's a thousand different ways that can go, right? Yeah. I mean, or is, okay, so bad guy shooting you, you shoot him, you John Wick him, one shot, he's down, and you got his three buddies, you know, posted up on the hill shooting at you. Now. I mean, I'm not trying to be sarcastic or glib, but it's, it's, uh, it's a lot to dissect and pull apart. At the end yeah. of the day, I'm trying to get out of there, right? Particularly if I'm alone, I'm trying to get out of there. Because at the end of the day, the reason why we carry a firearm is to protect life, right? And if the only life I'm protecting is mine, if I can safely retreat, I will safely retreat, all right? That's going to be probably the safest option and the best option to protect myself. If I cannot, then okay. That's part of the reason why I have that firearm. It's part of the reason why I have that training. Obviously, the situations change if your family's there, if other people are there, and so forth. But if it's just me, myself, and I, I want to survive that encounter, right? So if there's accomplices there, if they're a deadly threat to you, if they are actively shooting at you, then you need to figure out, can I retreat? Uh, can I, sh should I return fire and so forth? Do I have target isolation and all that other kind of good stuff that you always hear Kevin talking about? Um, what's the situation? What are the circumstances? Yeah, absolutely. Jack, if you're still online, we need more of that question. Yeah. We, we want to uh, delve deeper into that. It's a good question. Yeah. We just need more. Yeah. Jane would like to know, what about using psychological distractions for verbal commands? Instead of saying, drop the gun, say, what do you want? And, and I will say, Jane, if you have your wits about you to be at that level of conversation immediately in a deadly force situation, more power to you. Um, to me, those sorts of, of questions come in a law enforcement setting when I realize that now things have maybe de-escalated a little bit uh, if I'm at a domestic or something like that, and then I can say, first, stop doing what you're doing, and then tell me what's going on. Um, you know, if you can do that, great. It might interrupt this guy's decision-making loop, but um, I just want people to stop immediately. I, don't, I really don't want to engage in a whole bunch of conversation right away, but if I have to during this scenario, then I will. And again, a, a little bit of a follow-up, Jane, on, on what we were talking about with Jack. There's obviously a lot that can be going into that, right? Are you in a crowd of people and they're just kind of pointing the gun around trying to you know, rob a bank or rob a Walmart or whatever? Obviously, you engaging them is putting yourself on the X. And maybe you want to do that, maybe you don't want to do that. I don't know. But um, there's a lot of different factors that can go into that. I can tell you that no one that I have spoken to uh, who has been involved in a deadly force encounter, if they were sitting right here, I don't think any of them would say that I was completely ready to engage in psychological warfare with that individual when they had a gun in my face uh, or a knife in my face or a brick in my face or whatever else. So, and again, I'm not attacking you when I say that. I'm just saying that to Kevin's point, more power to you if you are operating up here but my experience with folks who have been there is that you probably won't be. Yeah, you feel that surge of adrenaline right. and, and you know your hands get loopy and you can't move things. And if you're thinking, you know, what do you want? I need to talk to this guy to get him, you know, um, you're probably really good at the psychological stuff. And, and right. you know, um, Marie wants to know, I know there's a desire to help, but given that you could be harmed or make a mistake, should you help? Personal decision again, and it's going to come back down to, what you want to risk. So I think we've gone over that. Yeah. All right, moving on. Ideas on what to say to someone who is anti-gun but knows I'm carrying. What can I say to defuse the situation or should I leave the area? Um, and the question comes from someone named Silver. Silver, if it's already to the point where you need to defuse the situation, if somebody is that anti-gun and you need to defuse it, I'm going to say just walk away. But, um, you know, you can say, well, it is my right, I have my permit, whatever, I am legally doing this, leave me alone, I'm not breaking any laws. So, Yeah, obviously, again, context, context, context. I mean, did they see you printing when you reached for something uh, at the grocery store and now you're suddenly in a confrontation in the middle of a shopping aisle with a perfect stranger who's flying off the handle? Um, I'm probably leaving my cart and getting out of there because I don't need the cops being called. I, I'm not even worried about who's getting in trouble probably the single best situation is me just getting out of there. Uh, and it's not that I'm anti-confrontation or verbal confrontation, I should say. As an attorney, Lord knows I do that professionally, right? Um, at a high level. And, and I'd yeah. like to think I do it halfway well, but uh, at the end of the day, you're not gonna change that person's mind. They're yelling at you in, in, in aisle six at, at Walmart, right? They're not looking for a rational debate. They're looking to probably call you out and to try to get someone in trouble. But what you know that they don't know, and maybe they do, and they're just being malicious, is this could turn into something very bad, 
right? Another concealed carry person hears that there's a man with a gun in aisle six. You are on that X. That woman or that man has put you on that X. So we don't know what it's going to turn into, and probably the safest thing would be to calmly leave if, if, they're, if they're really up there. Um, and I'm not saying that that's fun. I'm not saying that it feels great. But if you reciprocate and start yelling back, you're, you're rolling the dice on whether or not you're going to be getting arrested at all. In some states, yeah. if you're armed, yeah, you might be facing, both of you might be facing a disorderly conduct or something like that for getting into a shouting match at, at Walmart. But some states, like Wisconsin, they have what's called a penalty en enhancer where, look, you had a firearm on you. So not only did you do this, but you did it while armed. And now everything's worse. And maybe you might be losing that firearm. Maybe you might be losing that concealed carry license and so forth. You know your rights. That means that you have more to lose because you know what's on the line if this goes south. Keep that in mind. Thanks. Michael wants to know uh, what's going to happen if I use a firearm with a modified trigger to make it lighter, crisper. Uh, Michael, you need to watch more of these uh, um, Ask an Attorney webinars because we've talked about this quite a bit. I'll let you take that one over. Very briefly, I would be really concerned about making a firearms trigger <coughs> lighter for a couple of reasons. Number one, obviously promoting the chance or increasing the chance of a negligent discharge. Number two, you could be lightening up the primer strike on that trigger, so you could be harming the reliability of that firearm. You could be increasing the chance of unintended follow-up shots. Um, keep in mind, you know, it's it, we're not on a bench rest, you know, situation on a range. This is a self-defense uh, weapon. That being said, uh, to make it cleaner and crisper, that's a little bit of a different situation, and I'm not necessarily against that at all. And it goes back to what we talked about maybe 10 minutes ago of, at the end of the day, the facts of the case are going to be the facts of the case. So as long as a firearm is going to be reliable, as long as it's not going to do anything to hurt you, and there's obviously the physical elements to that, but there's, there's the legal elements as well of if I have something on there talking about, you know, death to all bad guys or whatever else, right? I don't know. I, it's yeah. a pretty, pretty lame example. Look here, wait for Flash. Exactly. If you got so. something like that, right, the prosecutors have a field day with that, all right? Mm -hmm. um, but if you are making, if, if this is what helps you to save your life because now you have a, clear, a clean, crisp trigger, uh, that's a different situation than a lightning, uh, you know, lightening up the trigger pull. So I'm not by any stretch against making a trigger more crisp. I actually do that uh, with my concealed carry firearms. Um, but I would be very skeptical and cautious about lightening the trigger. Not because in and of itself lightening the trigger is bad, but because of everything that comes with it could make things go very Yeah, a lighter trigger gives you more potential for a negligent yeah. discharge. But understand also that um, when you make modifications to your gun, one attorney is going to argue that these are now more dangerous, and the right. other attorney is going to argue that now your gun is more accurate, thus making it safer. So there, there will be people talking about this. Just know that that's going to happen, right. and, and don't do anything silly. It's so. not a field with consensus, yeah. to say the least. Yeah. Caleb wants to know, what if this develops into a hostage situation, or the attacker could try to kidnap a person? What then? Um, two very, very different situations there, Caleb. A hostage situation... Um, typically at that point, the person, the bad guy, the hostage taker is using the hostage to get something. So they're not going to immediately hurt that hostage. They may be threatening to hurt that hostage, but there's going to be some time to talk, negotiate. Hostage taker wants something. So you need to get hostage negotiators there to figure out what it is they want and try to figure that out. A kidnapping scenario. Now we're talking about probably an immediate use of deadly force. Uh, we had a scenario like that where the bad guy was going to drag the woman out of the, the shop that he was robbing, and, and the clear implication was that she was going to be raped. Um, at that point, our defender shot the bad guy in the back, and it was a clean and justified shoot based on the information we had. So, um, you know, can you use deadly force to prevent someone from going mobile with, you know, taking someone on the road and, and throwing them in a van and, and dragging them out of there? Again, the laws are going to be different from state to state, but I'm unaware of there's always what the laws say in the black letter, and there's always how it's going to be enforced and practiced. And sometimes the enforcement and practice will be better, sometimes it'll be worse than what the laws say on the books, right? Um, so those are always some, some variables, and those are all moving targets that we have to take into account, unfortunately. Sometimes we're good, sometimes we're bad in the justice system. But to Kevin's point, every study and every expert in the field that I've 
that I've heard has said, don't let them move you from the scene. Yep. That is going downhill fast. Yeah, that's the time to really put up a fight. And I mean, even if it's like, now it's time to go in the back room. That's the execution, execution chamber that, you know, um, and if they're taking you in a vehicle, um, you know what, it, it's not gonna end well, so you may as well fight right there. Um, that's the way I look at that, so. Right. Um, next question up. What would you do if a bystander got hurt, either by your actions or by your failure to act or, or by not acting? Um, first, by not acting, not your fault. I mean, you're right. not going to be held liable if you don't act and somebody gets hurt because they're being hurt by someone else. Um, if you do act and you hurt a bystander, what, you know, obviously I'm going to say, well, you know, call 911 and do what you can to render aid. But, right. but from a legal standpoint now, right. how does this all roll together? Well, again, it's going to vary depending upon the, the laws of that particular state. And there's basically two sides of the coin that we're looking at. The first side is what's going to happen criminally or translated. That's what happens if the state sues you and tries to put you in jail, right? The flip side of the coin is going to be what happens if that person or their next of kin or someone sues you. So in other words, they're looking for money. They're suing you in, in civil court, basically looking to take your house, your home, your retirement, all that other kind of stuff, right? Um, on the first side of the coin, many states do have laws that would, that possibly could and hopefully would under the circumstances that if you can show that you were lawfully acting in self-defense or defense of another, that basically that, that bill, so to speak, of all the bad things that, that happened, yeah, the bad guy gets to pay that. So if the bad guy survived, that doesn't necessarily go to you, it goes to the bad guy. Now, does that mean that you won't get charged with a crime? You won't have to go to trial? You won't have to go through all that stuff? No, you may have to go through all that. But at the end of the day, these laws do exist that would hopefully enable the state, if they so chose, to prosecute the bad guy for even something that a well-intended and legally justified good guy was doing in order to stop or terminate that interference. Uh, so keep in mind, some states have that, some states don't, and even if you don't, hopefully you'll have that transferred, and generally speaking, we're talking about laws of transferred intent and so forth, um, but hopefully you'll have those justifications in place. But buckle up, because you could definitely, definitely, definitely be facing at some major prison time. Uh, unfortunately, that's just, it's part of the conversation. There's no doubt about yeah. that. Civilly, look, you could be sued. It just is what it is. We live in America. Anybody can sue anyone at any time for anything. Uh, that is less the concern. From my end, as a lawyer, I'm less concerned about what can happen so much as what can we do about it at that particular point in time, right? There's nothing to stop law enforcement right now for arresting both Kevin and myself for killing a billion people with a B in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, which I assure you even, does not have a billion people with even a B with in it. EAA even with week. EAA this week, <laughs> Experimental Aircraft Association meeting this week, it ain't happening, right? But nothing that could stop the cops from walking here, arresting us both. Nothing could stop a prosecutor from charging us. Now we're in court, and now there's certain evidentiary thresholds and tests that come into place. So this is where the checks on the system start to happen, just like in civil court. Anyone could file a lawsuit for any reason. As long as they know how to draft it and they pay the fees and properly serve you, you're in the game, in essence. The question is, what happens next? And that's where the education, the training, and the legal protection all come into play. And I think we need to stress to people as well that no matter what happens on the criminal side, if they're served with the civil process, if they're getting sued civilly, they need to respond to that. They can't just throw that away. Yeah, and <laughs> typically you have a certain amount of days. And, you know, as an example, in some states, you may only have 20 days from the date that you get served in order to file what's called a response or any kind of counterclaims. Or else, arguably, you've waived any right. And effectively, they can. it's kind of like you've been defaulted, right? You got pulled mm -hmm. over for speeding, you didn't show up at court, so they found you guilty. Yeah, you probably, you may only have a certain number of days, and I do mean days, not weeks, not months, days to take the appropriate action. So just general life tip, you ever get, uh, you ever get process served for some sort of lawsuit? Don't laugh about it and throw it on the kitchen countertop to deal with later. Call an attorney now or yeah. the next day, <laughs> make all right? That, make that a priority. <laughs> make that a priority. Free tip, yeah. free tip on the day, all yeah. right? So Wally wants to know, and we're getting back again to this uh, accidentally seeing your firearm. Um, if your firearm is exposed, you're reaching for something at the shelf in the store. Somebody calls the police. One, are you in trouble? And again, maybe, maybe not. Right. Two, what do you say to that police officer? Sure. Well, and again, fantastic question, Wally. Tons of different things to pull apart. A typical lawyer answer, it depends. Are you in a place where you shouldn't be carrying, right? Because that's one question. And if you are, what happens next? Because in some states, 
auto arrest, you could be looking at crimes, even including felonies, you name it. Other states, maybe they just have to ask you to leave, or maybe it's a ticket or something else. So we have a whole spectrum of, if you're carrying where one ought not be carrying, what happens next? But let's assume that you are legally carrying, because I'm guessing that's kind of more what the question is. So you're shopping at a store where you can legally be carrying, you accidentally display, and now all of a sudden someone saw you and called the cops, maybe as a store security, a manager, maybe it's another patron, you name it. What happens next? Well, number one, I'm listening to what they're saying, all right? If they are walking up to you and saying, hi, what's going on? Uh, I am definitely not reaching into my pockets or anything like that because they yeah. got the call that there's a man who's armed uh, in aisle seven looking at cereal, right? So last thing I want to be doing to gain extra holes that I didn't wake up with that morning is start reaching around and making rapid or furtive movements, right? Right. Not happening. So I'm listening to their responses. I'm keeping my hands empty where, where they can see them. I'm being calm. I'm being polite. I'm being respectful. It just is what it is. I'm not going to go backwards by being rude or condescending. I'm not saying that you do that at all. I'm just saying this is the proper way to handle it. Be polite. Be respectful. Calmly explain, look, I'm you know legal concealed carrier. I am concealed carrying today. Uh, I, I'm, I'm sincerely sorry. I was unaware uh, that anything may have been displayed. Um, I'd be reluctant to go into too many details because, again, sometimes there might be strict liability depending upon your states. Sometimes there might not be. So the examples of what I just gave you might be great for Wisconsin, might not be great where you are. Mm -hmm. So, again, the safest thing I can say is don't talk to the police. That's just the safest thing I can give you. If I knew more about the particular laws of your particular state as well as the exact circumstances, I could probably tailor a better response. But the best thing generically I can tell you is be polite, be respectful, listen to their commands, don't make any furtive movements, don't grab into your, into your wallet or reach in your pocket or anything like that without asking if I can do this, right? And maybe clearly identifying to police, look, it's at five o'clock position on my right hip inside waistband so that they know that that's where it is. Mm -hmm. um, they may disarm you, at least during the conversation, that may or may not be legal, depending on what state that you're in. It probably will be due to officer safety rules. Um, but so much to unpack there. It's a fantastic question. I can only speak kind of general low resolution, just because, again, to get that high, the high def, the, the high resolution legal take, we need to know all the exact specifics. But polite, respectful, listen to their commands, survive the encounter. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, from my perspective as a law enforcement officer, I can't come up to you and start demanding to see your concealed carry permit or your firearm unless I have an articulable, reasonable suspicion that you're breaking a law. And at that point, then it's a law enforcement contact. And yep, I can get your identification and I can disarm you while we're doing that. Um, I typically don't like to do that because now I'm holding their gun. What am I going to do with it? I don't have an empty holster or anything there. But Yes, absolutely. Just polite and understanding. Keep your, you know, they're going to say, take your hands out of your pockets. Go ahead and do that. The worst thing that you can do is start in being angry and hollering about, you know, your rights. Um, Officers love yeah. that. If, if the cop is truly wrong and arresting you and slamming you on the ground and hauling you to jail and, and is truly wrong, deal with it there and then sue them later. Don't fight there in the store or something like that because then it escalates very quickly. And even if the cops started out improperly, you might still get shot or you might still be in a fight with a police officer or something like that. If you're respectful and the cop is still wrong, there's a whole bunch of attorneys out there waiting to sue the police officer and the city and everybody else for false arrest or, or whatever else they can figure out. So and For the record, I'm not one of those attorneys. But thank you. I, I will just add that... Uh, even if you are resisting what turns out to be an unlawful arrest, at least in Wisconsin, you can be lawfully prosecuted for your illegal resisting. You're not allowed to resist, even if it turns out to be a bad arrest. They yeah. lack the probable cause to arrest you, whatever it might be. You can't do that. So if once that officer has made the decision, just move on. It's yeah. like golf. It's like a sport. Whatever. I made the shot. I didn't make the shot. Time to move on to the next the next play. Yeah, right? fight it in the courts, right. not, on, not on the street. Exactly. So, uh, um, we'll talk a little bit, we'll lead in a little bit about this. Uh, the, we talked earlier about the Walmart scenario, and this is something I'm going to talk about in an upcoming edition of Into the Fray. Um, but I watched a surveillance video of a woman firing a total of seven shots inside a Walmart. And the first five, the prosecutor decided were legal. The following two were illegal. Mm -hmm. um, the woman was attacked from behind by two people, 
and she was getting whooped. She was getting stomped hard there in the, in the jewelry section of the Walmart. She came up from that with her firearm, fired five shots that hit nobody. Then, walking back and forth around up and down the aisle, um, apparently the people were coming back. They were off camera, off the video that I saw. She took a few steps forward, fired two more shots. That shot hit a person in the thumb and in the leg. The, the one of the attackers? Yeah, one of the attackers. The initial attackers? Yeah. Okay. One of the initial attackers who the woman said was coming back towards her. Okay. Um, prosecutor decided that first five were okay. Second two didn't, you know, the, the threat didn't rise to imminent deadly threat. Right. And she's being charged with aggravated assault Boy. based on this. So yeah. the, the question that comes out of this is, when do you need to stop using force? And when can you reapply that force again if you feel like you're threatened? And again, you know, reasonable thought of a deadly, of an imminent deadly threat. Right. <clears throat> and, do, you know, I, I don't know. I don't think that was in Wisconsin. I think that no, was in a different yeah. state. Okay, yeah. So number one, of course, can't really, by now, you, you, you can all say it with <laughs> yeah, me, right? Yeah. It depends upon the laws of that state, right? Um, but we were talking about this before, before we went live this morning, and um, that's, that's a tough encounter because mm -hmm. so much of, of this can be really gray because I think in this scenario, the bad guys didn't have any weapons. Yep, they were unarmed, um, <clears throat> but, but by it force of her. numbers, jumped her and, and, uh, and got, right. got the advantage, and she was taking a good beating. So the argument to prosecute her, so she's on the ground, she's getting stomped, she, she takes five shots, they scatter, and the prosecutor, to be clear, decided those five shots were good. Mm -hmm. She stands up, she's pacing around, maybe she's looking for them, maybe she isn't. No doubt that's part of what the prosecutor's looking at, right? Yeah. And then all these, or at least one of these individuals starts reapproaching her and that's where she takes two shots. Right. And, you know, that's, that, that's, that's a tough situation. It, mm -hmm. it just really is because even if I put on my prosecutor hat, you know, we, we don't want to, um, it never feels good to have my victim, right, uh, to have as a prosecutor, more or less my client, the victim, be the real bad guy, right? Mm -hmm. But at the same time, we've got to stick up for the laws. We've got to enforce the laws of the particular state, the jurisdiction that we're in. And if the good guy turns into the bad guy by crossing a line, unfortunately, sometimes it is what it is. And I'm not saying that that's necessarily what happened here. But what I am saying is that if we look at this scenario of an individual who probably didn't handle things properly, right? She gets jumped, she takes the five shots, all right, what happens next? Number one, I'm probably not pursuing those people, which right. I'm sure the prosecutor's gonna say that she hunted them down the aisles or yeah, something if, like that. If somebody runs away, let them run away. Let them run away. <laughs> uh, I'm backing up, right? And, and sometimes you can't always back up, right? But I'm not, if somebody's coming down an aisle, it sounds like I've got an area to retreat to, I can yell commands, I can do something. And folks, all this happens so darn fast, as we've talked about. Um, but these can be really challenging, difficult situations. And, and I think you know that. That's why you're here. That's why you're watching this. But um, what would I try to do or what would I have my ideal client do under those circumstances? I'd like to see them back up, yell stop, do things like that to make it emphatically clear that they had no option that was left. Um, and if at that particular point, if they still felt warranted to shoot, I'm not saying that a prosecutor or reasonable minds can differ. It just feels like one of those cases that it's going to wind up being decided by a jury. Yeah, it's, uh, and it's probably something that we can talk about uh, later yeah. as we, we get more information about this and, and right. we delve deeper into it. But uh, for now, as my therapist says, <laughs> our time is up, Tom. So thank you all for watching. This is your monthly Ask an Attorney webinar. And... Uh, all of this stuff is out there on your dashboard, and, and if you are a member, Max, what, what level of member gets to see all of this stuff all of the time? Elite. Elite. You need to be an elite member to see all of this stuff all the time. But use your member dashboard, look all of that stuff up, and uh, if you have any other questions, just post them out on the USCCA community and elsewhere, and we will find them and get, get the answers for you as best we can. And something that really helps me to be here as well, folks, if you could just take a moment, there should be a button that you see, leave Tom Grieve a review or something like that. Click on that or just Google Grieve Law. We're here in Wisconsin. Just Google Grieve Law. And you know how Google has that little five-star thing where you put us in, it shows like a picture of the firm and, you know, X number of reviews. It says write a review. Folks, something that would really help both not only myself but my team back at the office out a lot to keep this kind of content coming. Take a few moments, click write a review. It's totally free takes about 30 seconds. 
Uh, just leave us some sort of review. Let us know how we're doing or something like that. I know that the particular leave a review uh, link today is going to be going to our family law side of the firm, Divergent Family Law. So something would be fantastic if you felt so inclined. Uh, so just some sort of generic attorney review. Uh, otherwise, you know, generic five-star review without a comment. Even if you want to write a comment, I do read everything. I will be responding to them all. So folks, we really, 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 really appreciate it. Those five-star reviews. Keep in mind, it's the internet. Four out of five stars is kind of a failing grade. So if you feel like we did, or I did, an okay job today, really appreciate that five-star review. Thank you. Thank you, and tell all your friends to watch next month.